Hey, Whiskey Ringers, welcome to a brand new intro. First off, there are still a few bottles of our barrel single barrel rye finished in Armagnac casks, picked in partnership with This Is My Bourbon podcast. Check out the show notes for links to purchase. Second, I am thrilled to announce that I've joined the Bar Cart Co-op. This group of podcasts and shows has a show or multiple for everyone. I'll talk more about them in the mid-roll. Finally, there are still two $25 spots available on Patreon. These are the last two spots that will ever be open on that tier, so if you've been putting it off, grab your spot today. There are also spots available at the $15 a month level if you want to support, but can't quite commit to that $25 tier just yet. There's a spot in supporting for everyone's budget, and I truly thank you all for making this podcast possible. Hey folks, welcome to a new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Today, uh, you might hear a little difference, I'm recording from a new location, but I am thrilled either way, to be joined by Alex Moore, who is a COO and Master Blender for Heaven's Door Spirits. Alex, welcome on. Hi, right, David. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on, and uh, thanks for taking the time so close to the holidays. Absolutely. Happy to do it. So uh, many of you may know Heaven's Door by uh, the look of their bottles, which are quite unique and catch the eye. You might also know by the association with Bob Dylan. And um Oddly enough, and I might get crucified for this, I am not a huge music of Dylan fan. I just don't know much of it. I, I'll say more I don't know much of it rather than I'm not a fan. I think that's more accurate. I just don't know a lot of it. But um, certainly respect the guy as a songwriter and as a true voice of a generation. So um, when we had the opportunity to connect you and I uh, and talk about Heaven's Door Spirits and the whole kit and caboodle, I wanted to jump right on it. So let's start off with the beginning or how did how did you get into this role and uh i know you we were talking a bit before air that your title is master blender one of your titles but you kind of want to pull that back a little bit so i'll let you take it from there yeah thank thank you so much david um we we as a industry of course uh are very proud of ourselves and and the spirits that we create and, and uh, are able to share with everyone else. And I just want to, uh, as you said, take a step back because the, the industry has gone on for a long time before bourbon and, and, you know, the wine world and the cognac and all these other spirits, brandy have, have extended far before we as a country started identifying bourbon and, and uh, different countries, different cultures, different spirits have different uh i should say standards of what creates a master blender and i like to consider myself a blender I've, I've certainly worked and trained with a lot of master blenders and they have put uh a lot of time and official documentation and, and testing towards that title in different regions of the world and uh my, my focus is primarily in america and i spent a lot of time learning and traveling to to bring other cultures and other techniques into our blending and into our spirit and everything that we put out there but uh, i would i would hate to be somebody who's worked towards the title of master blender for 40 years and done rigorous testing and then somebody like me pops up and throws it around loosely so just want to extend that respect out and uh i appreciate you giving me the opportunity there to, to challenge it but uh yeah and then coo I, I run operations for uh for heaven store and some of our other brands and uh very proud of that and and our blends 
So how did you, uh, you know, what's your background? How did you end up at Heaven's Door? So I, I uh, was in the military as in the Navy uh, overseas right out of college and and wound up exploring the, the world and the wide world of spirits because everywhere we went, they had something new and different. And that was part of the education that I got to uh, to follow when I hit port. I didn't just want to waste or squander um, my time uh, interacting with these other cultures, but use it as an educational experience. And spirits was a really fun way to get get out and do it. Not just in the bar, but uh, checking out the manufacturing side. Um, and then uh, as well as I've, I've mentioned to some other people, just the people on the ship are from all other cultures and they may be American citizens, they may be in our Navy, but my God, do they have different backgrounds. And uh, e- even if they're, you know, 10th generation Americans, they, they could still have a very different view on on everything that from the guy next door. So I learned a lot from everybody. And when I got out, I didn't know really what to do. Wound up at Breckenridge Distillery, which was fortuitous. Um, my mentor there, Jordan Vi, taught me the art of blending and distillation. And though I came in for a very administrative role, I, I really fell in love and embraced it and uh, got to grow with that company. And they were, they were tremendous for me. Uh, after leaving there, I uh, bounced around some, some startups and, and got to be a part of the build, which is what fascinates me, and especially uh, the genesis and ideation of these companies where you get to actually have a, a good stamp on the product versus going to an established or heritage brand and just kind of uh, having to, uh, well, they, they get the pleasure and um, benefit of learning and training under just an unbelievable tradition, but they, they also have some very uh, tough restrictions on how they get to innovate and uh, and change the product and what they put out there. So startups were really fun for me. And uh, Jordan Vi, that, that same mentor over at Breckenridge Distillery, he, uh, he was able to connect me with Mark Bouchala here at uh, Heaven's Door. Um, he was he did that because Jordan Vi himself was one of the early blenders and the founding member here uh, has had played a huge part in our brand and its growth. Uh, and and when the opportunity arose for for a new position, he threw my name out there, and I'm, I haven't looked back. Oh, it's funny you say um, that you know you started in the industry. I would say at Breckenridge, it's both Breckenridge itself and Colorado are kind of, it's one of those epicenters where people s- seem to emanate from in the industry, whether it's Breckenridge, Stranahan's, uh, you know, 291. Um, it seems to be one of those places. It, was there, I guess, what what was the apprenticeship, if you will, the apprenticeship like under uh, Jordan to learn how to blend? Yeah. Um... Good question. So Jordan's a, a unique guy. Um, he has a tremendous wealth of experience from the wine world, which he's brought over to the bourbon world. And as you said, that, that Colorado environment really embraces uh, <clears throat> kind of an out of the ordinary understanding of of spirits, um, simply because the distillation, the aging 
that entire process in Colorado is so vastly different than what we know out of Kentucky or Tennessee, right? I mean, that elevation throws so many uh, wild cards at you, uh, and uh, your your whiskey tends to age a whole lot slower there. The temperatures, the winters, I mean, you get into the operations realm, and suddenly you have highways that close uh, pretty regularly during the winter months. You know, uh, where our distillery here in Kentucky, we we get the benefit of receiving fresh Cooper barrels every single day from a cooperage less than an hour away. In Colorado, you're looking at train cars that are coming and you have to figure out how to keep those barrels hydrated and keep the taste the same uh, month to month. So um, very different conditions, which embraces uh, people that are that are, have a different perspective maybe or or an open mind towards it. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. The apprenticeship under Jordan was very much trial by fire. Uh, Breckenridge was going under tremendous growth. Um, when we first got there, there was one 500-gallon pot still turning out a few barrels a week. Uh, by the time I left, they had columns still, two pot stills, and, and a serious manufacturer. Um, especially, you know, that early on in the bourbon boom. Um, so it was trial by fire. It was, uh, hey, you got to learn this quickly. And guess what? Our, uh, we're not staffed up, you know, necessarily uh, appropriately. So you might be working long hours. And also uh, there's a sales call next week and I got to be out of town. So I hope you're confident in this and and call me if there's some questions. So that was a lot of fun. And every time uh, he came back, he had something to teach me. And, uh, and the, probably one of the better benefits from that absence and trial by fire is uh, the mistakes you make. There's, there's nothing better than learning from a mistake. So I made plenty of those and uh, <laughs> was able to watch him fix it. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, just to kind of close the loop on on your journey here, uh, now that you're in Kentucky and working with Heaven's Door Spirits, you're you're not only uh, using you know the the bourbons that bourbons whiskeys sorry that are for now sourced, but also planning to do a to have distillery on site to produce your own spirits. Uh, since moving to Kentucky, has I guess has anyone taken you under their wing, or have you sought out kind of a new? Uh, person to or people to look at for inspiration and guidance oh man we we have so many people to choose from in that aspect uh moving to kentucky and and when i say the move to kentucky the brand's always been trying to build its own distillery and its own brand center that's always been part of the plan mm -hmm. um as you alluded to we we certainly sourced uh bourbon we still do um it's important to us that we we don't consider ourselves the only uh, masters to the trade, and we understand other people make really great stuff. and And blending is a very important part of our of our uh, brand ethos. So, taking whiskey from all over the place, working with different distillers, different regions it's it's all part of it and very important. Uh, but. And Kentucky, our team is absolutely fantastic. We have Ken Pierce as our master distiller. Matt Wheatley is our head distiller. And those guys bring so much to the table. Um, we we ideate everything together. Every step of the way is some sort of 
operational learning or blending or distillation learning. We get to go through our budgets for the next year and apply certain amounts towards different heirloom grains or different mash bills or different uh, R&D, which is just, you have somebody with as much experience as Ken Pierce. It, it's uh, impossible not to learn every day. So uh, I'm very fortunate in that for And with, so after closing out your story, I think the next proper place to go is to address the, uh, I guess the elephant in the room, which is that it is Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, you're right. <laughs> and I think the the first question I want to approach this with is, by nature of the relationship, it you know it's branded with his artwork. He's a big part, a big player in this. He's got roles that we'll talk about later, but he's clearly in this for the long term and and seems committed to this brand. So it is a celebrity whiskey, but it's not a, cel- a celebrity brand that has just been kind of, you know, slap a new label on and put it out the door and just for the sake of, of having the name on there. So in terms of, of Bob Dylan's, I guess, involvement, did that, did the idea for this start with him or did it start with someone else and then he jumped on board relatively quickly? So, uh, his involvement is really the ethos of the brand. Um, of course, the the brand label right there on the gates, that is the uh, iron work that he's put forth. He is a restless spirit or ethos. He, he is a singer-songwriter, a poet, uh, winner of the Nobel Prize. He um, is a sculptor, an oil painter. I mean, it just goes on and on. And every day he's got something else on his plate um talk about a a busy schedule especially for an 82 year old um so we focus on his sculptures in the front and then on our other release the bootleg we focus on his paintings and we have the bootleg series it's in this handcrafted wooden journal wrapped in leather and then you open it up it's a ceramic bottle with his oil painting on the side and then as far as liquid influence we usually follow him and his team um, around the world. So this year, our bootleg five release is, uh, is aged in Spanish vermouth casks. Uh, Bob went on tour over in Spain. And we when we heard about that, we started looking over there for partners and collaborations and said, you know, we have this 18-year-old straight bourbon. We would love to, to emphasize his European uh, tour. Uh, with a finishing cask. So let's start following his tour route and see who's who's available to work with us. Um, and then uh, as far as the product development, we send him all the samples. He gets his eyes on every single packaging. And if you've been following our brand, you know we have a lot of different packaging and a lot of different offerings. So he's involved in every single aspect of that, uh, which is incredibly time-consuming. Um, as well as uh, I'd say I, I am constantly looking over my shoulder for for her feedback because uh, I, I would never want to put anything out there that his team doesn't have a, a strong uh, approval rating of. So, yeah, Fair enough. Uh, so, like, I mean, like I said, many people would probably have heard of these spirits in this brand because of Bob Dylan's involvement with it. 
Um, but so two questions come out of that, and I'll answer you know one at a time on this one, which is for someone who's either uh, thinking about drinking Heaven's Door or looking to try it for reasons other than its connection connection to Bob Dylan. What is the what's kind of the elevator pitch for it? Um, the elevator pitch for Heaven's Door is, uh, I would say. Uh, I, I hate using innovative, so I, I want to steer away from that. I would say uh, adapting spirit. Oh man, you're killing me here. Uh, <laughs> an adaptive spirit. We we really we want to break loose. We have a straight bourbon whiskey. We have a straight Tennessee whiskey, but our rye has a uh, a unique production process. Then we really fell in love with our double barrel, which is a blend of our bourbon, a blend of our rye and then aged again. Our bootleg series is something different every time. Our exploration series is a way of tying all the LTOs together. So instead of just coming out with different random LTOs, we're gonna have this sort of uh, identity towards oak and the uh, flavor impact that it has on there. So this year, uh, the series number one, is finishing Calvados casts and then uh, toasted French oak. We want to keep going down that exploration series route and trying different oaks, different methods of char toast levels, um, uh, different maturing regions. I mean, at, at, and times. It's it's really all about providing that hobbyist consumer something new on the shelf because we've seen that in the market i think everybody's seen that in the market people are getting uh less and less interested in the core skews they they have their everyday bourbon but what they really intrigues them is what is new and out there this month but maybe not next month uh, that limited release so that's what we want to try to do which is which is a real pain operationally, to be honest. Uh, I think we'd all wish we could just uh, create the recipe and, and send it out to the table. But uh, unfortunately, that's not, well, unfortunately, from a headache perspective, that's not the way of the world. But from a consumer perspective, it's it's really fun and uh, and and uh, adventurous. I mean, I, I think you basically answered the other part of the question, which was going to be, you know, how do you avoid becoming another celebrity branded whiskey and thrown into that category. And uh, I, I think in the fact that you're constantly doing something new, it, it just, it does show something different. You know, you're not necessarily like each or a consumer, let's say is not going to necessarily like each release, but you're, as you said, they're going to keep getting new elements, new things yeah. to try. I mean, you talk about the Calvados and then the toasted cask. I want to try that. I love finished in Calvados and, I like the toasted cask. So putting them together, I don't know someone else who's done that. That could be great. And David, and to jump on that, I mean, the, the fun thing about the company uh, and our team here is, is we're willing to put a lot of R&D into it. I mean, there is really, the budget for that is is humongous. We, we, can, we can experiment, we, should, we can get crazy, and everyone here is willing to see it with the with an open mind, which is terrific. Nice. All right. So let's start off. I mean, just going through some of the, uh, some of the 
products themselves. Um, I want to jump back a little bit to you know, your first couple of years. You're, as we said, you're you're sourcing. You're transparent about the fact you're sourcing uh, for now. And uh, of course, I'm I'm not going to ask the sources. I'm sure they're all under NDAs at this point. But uh, what I wanted to ask, kind of around that question, was, as you said from the beginning, you've got a plan to have a distillery at some point and make your own spirits. Being in Kentucky, I think the only product right now out that you couldn't have obviously is the Tennessee whiskey. Uh, you know, you couldn't make that in house, but otherwise you can. So as you look to transition over the next, however many years, do you, I mean, do you have partnerships in place long-term with, with the sources you currently have, or is it, um, do you have to play around a little bit as time goes on? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny you, you talk about the the partnerships and NDAs. We're, we're very proud of our partners, and I don't e- even with our own distillery, we are not gonna to part ways. We we think, especially some of the Tennessee juice we're getting is absolutely fantastic, and we always want to have an inventory of that. Maybe that maybe the Tennessee straight bourbon uh, skew doesn't stay out there forever, but. I can guarantee we're going to have single barrels. We're going to have collaborations. We're going to use their product in the exploration series or something of the sort. I mean, we we by no means uh, think that if when we're producing and we we have been for many years now um, that we're the the end all be all. Um, so uh, I think you'll you'll see our SKUs. Uh, continue on as far as the collaborations that will continue um we're 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 very happy and we want to emphasize our our partner distillers and we're we're starting to trade barrels around with different distilleries and and finish in different you know maybe maybe we'll have some some big names on our labels here shortly with that our product can be collaborated or, or finished with so um no, we're we're open to everything. And before I forget, uh, the Tennessee Straight Bourbon is labeled as such. It, is it fair to assume then that obviously it comes from Tennessee, but that it does not go through the Lincoln County process? That's correct. Our our Tennessee Straight is a uh, seventy twenty two eight, um, so a high rye, and uh, <laughs> depending on who you're talking to, but that's a that's definitely high rye, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, no, no LCP. We do have inventory of LCP barrels, though, and uh, we enjoy working with those and and using them uh, time to time in different LTOs. We certainly do not uh, think that process uh, degrades the whiskey in any way. It's just a different product, um, and it, and it certainly has its place, but not in our uh, not in our core Tennessee bourbon. And maybe to ask a. A somewhat obvious question, but, um, or maybe more, no, let me reword that. Maybe to ask a, an overly simplistic question, but it seems like the, the plan has been to, uh, you know, move to Tennessee. Uh, sorry. Yeah. From, I'll, I'll from Tennessee towards Kentucky. Yeah. Yes. Wow. There we go. I, my brain just blanked for a second. Um, yes. To move to, uh, Kentucky. So, um, was, and now you've got, you know, an entire site that we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit, but, uh, I'm curious if 
there was a discussion of, of not having a Tennessee bourbon on there simply because you were going to move to Kentucky and have the base in Kentucky, or has that been a change as well? It's funny you say that because, uh, I mean, of course there's a, a rival. Yeah. And, and we'll see that all the time in our single barrel offerings and, and we'll be in Tennessee offering barrels and they'll say, oh, I only want the Tennessee single barrels. And we'll do kind of, we'll hear samples X, Y, and Z. And they'll say, oh, I, I really like sample X. I'm like, well, that's actually the Kentucky. And <laughs> and the same exact thing in Kentucky, right? Very often a, a Kentucky uh, single barrel selector will taste something and go, my God, that's a good barrel. That's the one for my store. Say, cool. This is, uh, you know, our Mashville blah, blah, blah from Tennessee aged here 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 all the you know fill in the details and they'll be like wait no no no, no. <laughs> that's that can't be that that can't be a Tennessee so um we our transition towards Kentucky is uh, one brought to us by opportunity um and we we happen to find a distillery that was already built and operating, uh, already had some inventory laid down. I had Ken Pierce, who we, you know, geez, what a what a gold mine that this opportunity is, we thought. So coming into that, we decided to make our brand transition from Tennessee to Kentucky. Uh, it, it really bumped us ahead of schedule. Uh, obviously, we have high respect for both regions. Um, we fully intend and embracing our Tennessee uh, original roots. Uh, that product will be highlighted next year. We we hope to have packaging that has Tennessee straight and K Kentucky straight side by side, encourage you putting on a blindfold and, and testing yourself because we really think there are, they are not, neither one is a better product. They are different products. Um, so we, we encourage people to open their minds, uh, but we'll have Tennessee for a few more years. We have a lot of inventory. Uh, we have a lot of love for it. So it, it'll be around, uh, despite our, our transition. And with the, uh, what about you, David, you, uh, do you have a preference? I know you can't say that, but no, no, I, I, I could definitely, I could definitely <laughs> say, I, um, it really depends How about in on... our product. How about in our product for for our uh, Tennessee and our Kentucky street? I think I would have to go with the with the Kentucky, but it's really not by much. And uh, the the reason I asked about the Lincoln County process or or lack thereof is because I often find that uh, maybe accepting super high proof or you know barrel proof or whatever the LCP can often take away more flavor than, than what it adds in its uniqueness. So the, the difference is, is not, the difference in scoring was not too far away. The difference in flavor obviously is quite different from one place to another, but uh, in overall quality, I thought they were very close. And the, I, I guess the other thing I would add with that is I don't take I don't take price into consideration when doing a rating. Um, I might write about it in the actual you know review or something, but I won't, but it doesn't factor into the rating itself. And what I also thought was, you know, you're 
dealing with two whiskeys that scored in um i don't know my notes are from it they, they were in the you know uh, low seven range for low to mid sevens which is very very good uh, that that's great whiskey for me i you know once you get to eight and above we're talking transcendental kind of stuff and and for so for so sevens are are very very good on my scale uh yeah i, th- I think it just came down to they were both very 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 good uh onto great they were priced, I think, appropriately. I mean, we're talking 55 bucks a piece for the Ascension, which is the Kentucky straight bourbon, the Revival, the Tennessee straight bourbon. That's not going to, I felt like it's not something that's going to bust the budget. If you buy a bottle and you like it, great. If you buy a bottle and you don't like it, I mean, yeah, it's 55 bucks, 60, including tax maybe, but it's not 200. And again, yeah. I, that's where I go back to the other kind of celebrity whiskeys where it can be very expensive. Now, obviously, I'm I'm not including the bootleg series here because that's a different animal. But um, for the for the core range, at least, I thought they were pretty reasonable. Uh, thank you. It's it's important you brought up the the same price. It's important for us that the Tennessee and the the Kentucky are showcased equally, so they're the same proof, same price. We we want to be very clear. We're we're not even you know we just got distillery in Kentucky. We are not. Uh, saying one is better than the other we're, we're opening up that uh debate because we think it's pretty fun and uh the answer there is no answer right everyone's got a different different palette so yeah exactly and we also david to, to throw that out there we we have the distiller from our tennessee he recently traveled out to kentucky and and vice versa we're, we're trying very hard to to get them uh I mean, when I was talking about collaboration, I, I don't, the last thing I want is just a collaboration on, you know, financials or on the label. Like we actually want to learn and, and, and uh, use different techniques from each other. So that that's important to us too, that we're, everyone's off on an equal footing. Everyone's working together. So I think the, my next question is going more into the core range so in addition to the like i said the uh, kentucky straight bourbon the ascension kentucky straight bourbon the revival tennessee straight bourbon whiskey you also got the revelation double barrel whiskey which you mentioned earlier and then the refuge straight rye whiskey mm-hmm. and i i know it's, it's not really fair to keep going back to this comparison but i keep thinking about like other celebrity brands and and not a lot of them have a lot of diversity in their branding let's say and diversity of product, I mean. Um, so having four core elements, four core releases in and of itself is fairly um, unique. But again, it sounds like this was part of the plan all along, that it was, wasn't just going to be one or even two products. It was going to be a full lineup plus premium and super premium and limited releases. So what you know, was there ever a thought to to only having those one or two products or was it always in the plan to have that really full, let's call it a, you wouldn't know this was a celebrity whiskey lineup. Yeah. And uh, tell you the truth, I don't think we've ever thought of ourselves as a celebrity whiskey. Um, I, I think we think of it as a bigger and broader team and uh, especially with diverse experience. Uh, you know, we, we look at Bob very much not as a celebrity, but as an artist, and uh, enjoy our 
our interactions with him and, and the feedback and and working with him as a as a, I guess it's just as an artist, as somebody who's always aspiring for change and recreating things. Um, never really thought of ourselves as just this is the type of whiskey that's going to hit the most market share and we're going to get that out to the masses. Um, it's certainly very difficult on our salesmen. I feel really bad for sales team and marketing. They, they have a lot of stuff that they have to uh, adapt to. And usually we're, we're telling them a little late because we, we're we not necessarily uh, coming up with a plan for uh, marketing a new SKU or, or whatever. It, it's more that we, we try something and it comes out of R&D and we go, this is fantastic. Let's throw it on the shelf. And then marketers say, whoa, I, I need eight months to prep this. What do you, what do you mean? And we're like, no, no, it's ready now. Um, so I, I feel very bad for our sales team. I, common uh, criticism I get from them is, you know, we have the product before they have a sales sheet. Um, so so uh, I I think we are definitely set for our four SKUs. If anything, it's going to grow. And what we like is putting out good and interesting products, not so much uh, giving somebody in the organization a, a, a tight focus to get some sort of exit or any of those traditional routes that celebrities, uh, celebrity brands take. And moving on to the, uh, the limited releases now. So there are currently three. I would consider, you know, the Decade Series, which is 10-year-old uh, plus rye. The bootleg series um, right now, of course, on the website, we have volume four, but volume five is going to be coming out. And the, uh, I want to make sure I get the name right, the Homesick Blues uh, Minnesota Weeded Bourbon Whiskey. So yeah. uh, I kind of want to start with that third one because that one I wasn't expecting, I guess. And uh, nobody was. David. Nobody was. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just like, uh, like I was saying, that one. We tasted the product and said, hey, we got one. <laughs> so, yeah, I had the idea for the weeded come along and, and how do you roll it out? Um, so that actually came from Bob's team. Uh, they they approached us uh, early in the year and said, hey, we're going to release a book or rather a book is being released on, on Bob's life, um, mixing up the medicine. And... You know, what type of synergies can we create between the, the book and the brand? And uh, I was happened to be digging through the inventory and I noticed that we had uh, 150 barrels uh, from a site that is no less than, you know, just about 150 miles uh, from where Bob Dylan was born and raised. So we thought, okay, here's a Bob Dylan book about his life from beginning to end and and uh, his career. And we have this whiskey from roundabouts where he was born and raised and it's been matured there. You know, it was grown there. The grains were grown there. It was distilled there. It was matured there. Well, pretty fitting. Um, went through the tasting of it. It was seven years old at that point. Um, tasted beautifully so we decided to throw it in at uh at cast strength and put it out as an offering we, uh, we we had a lot of success because we initially offered it as a package deal with the book which uh intrigued a lot of the fans we're always kind of you know we we have we have that 
torn perspective on whether we're going after the whiskey consumer or the Bob Dylan fan or in an ideal world going after both, right? Or is our target audience? Well, it's pretty hard to reach the Bob Dylan fan because they're all ages, all uh, areas of the globe and may or may not enjoy whiskey. Um, so this was a way that we could showcase ourselves uh, with Bob Dylan and uh, and pile on to the book. So we we did that and our e-commerce sales spoke for themselves. They were fantastic. And I think we we consider that one a, a big success. I think you're you're right. And I want to highlight something uh, you said, which was about reaching the audiences. And uh, Bob Dylan has that ability, as you said, all ages, all nationalities, all regions around the US, around the world. He's been at it a long time. So he's got a and he's got one of the biggest catalogs of any artist I could think of. So in some ways it, it's kind of, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not trained in business in any way. I'm just coming at this from the perspective of having talked to and met a lot of different brands. I would almost think it's easier to, to kind of drop the idea of targeting it directly to his fans because his fans are going to find it in one way or another, but you're, you're at the same time, you're also going to just naturally overlap with those fans by targeting pretty much any sector that is not um you know that doesn't only listen to insane clown posse you know <laughs> like um, <laughs> like that maybe those don't overlap maybe they do i don't know but you know you're you're hitting a pretty wide mark to start with yeah well it's 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 challenging to tie our brand to bob because not everybody knows that he's in our you know i would say very few people actually know looking at our bottle that that's his gate on the front and then looking at bootleg, I don't know if a lot of people say, you know, uh, bootleg series is tied to his production company. And now that, you know, ceramic bottle that's absolutely gorgeous and painted, not everybody knows he painted that and that he's got a gallery in in um, the UK. It, it, it's He's so diverse and he's so quiet uh, and humble that he's not out there doing self-promotion so so many of these aspects that are our brand that are bob dylan are not necessarily known to the greater population um so that that tie that link it, it can be quite challenging to create um and this was one where where we found an opportunity to to tie it all together when you're looking to create the blends or to, yeah, let's say create the blends and to either continue the same flavor profile from batch to batch, keep it similar. Do you uh, do anything to get into a particular mindset to do the, the blends? Um, I, I'm, yeah, I, I'm sure you're you're wondering if I lock myself in a dark room and listen to his albums for 48 hours straight or something I mean, like that. There, there are some people who do who have done that with other artists, so I, I had to ask. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm sure there are. I I don't do that. Uh, I actually, um, what I do to focus on the blends is study different techniques as well as make sure that I'm sampling everything as much as possible. People are, as a blender, people are always asking me, what are you drinking? What are you, you know, give me some brands. I mean, that 
I can't think of a bottle that I've bought twice. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love stuff, but I am always trying new things. And that is what I do to get my ideas for a new blend is um, seeing what other people are doing, traveling, and making sure that I am uh, up to date with the market uh, because these you know, the market moves fast and uh, we don't want to be caught chasing trends. We don't want to be, um, you know, if we're chasing a trend, we're, we're probably always a step behind and we want to get ahead. So uh, I, I spend a lot of time learning from Coopers, from uh, different spirits, from lumberjacks even. I mean, I spend a lot of time out there getting to know the industry not on the necessarily on the sales or blending side, but really as, as far back as the farmers, the, the lumberjacks, the the coopers, the mills. That's that's where I like to start because it, there is so much, so much information there. And uh, when you start to absorb it and start to put it into play, it your product improves and it only gets better with time because a lot of these changes you make. They're, they're not reflected in the bottle right away. It takes years and years for that to be reflected. And and it, it's sad to to note that something I do today, I, I really want to enjoy the benefits tomorrow, but I won't see it for six years probably. Um, so that that's, that's a really difficult part about the job. And it's, I think it's, it's nice to hear that whenever a brand is going back that far, I mean, so- we hear a little bit more on the grain side, what working with the farmers, finding out that the grain is, uh, you know, trying to get local grain or, or work with farmers nearby. Um, but we don't hear nearly as much about, about the wood and finding out where the wood is coming from, uh, which I always found weird in, in a, an industry and a production where depending who you ask, I mean, anywhere from 50 to 90% of the flavor is coming from the barrel. 90 might be a little high, but you know, that so much is coming from the barrel and yet a lot of companies, whether it's due to volume, whether it's due to, I mean, anything down to just not really caring, kind of just take what's given to them without finding out much about it, without really getting any choice involved. So, uh, was it just kind of natural curiosity that led you to go back that far? Yeah, I, I would say natural curiosity as well as, um, I mean, anybody can taste between two barrels in the rickhouse and say, wow, what? there's a difference there. What is it? And then you can, you know, lead to, oh, well, this one's hot, you know, high and dry. This one's low and humid. And you can get into the different rickhouse spacings. But then you can also have two barrels right next to each other, but Cooper differently and blah, blah, blah. And there's a suddenly you're like, wow, there's a big difference there. In your dump reports, you see a huge difference in proof gallons based on, uh, you know, maybe what cooperage you were using at that time or how quickly you filled the barrels. Um, and, and then for me, as as a hobby, I'm, I'm very uh, interested in sustainability, uh, which is an important part for our brand. Uh, we actually just got a 94% uh, or 94-point Energy Star rating at our distillery in Pleasureville, which is, I mean, fan- oh, I'm very, very proud of that. Uh, puts us on the top five for Kentucky as far as uh, distilleries and efficiencies. But um, so embracing that aspect, 
made me go into land management. And then, you know, the oak, oh my gosh, how are we producing so much bourbon? And like, you can only use a barrel once and you only get a few barrels out of a hundred year old oak tree. I mean, just little scratching the surface of that raises a lot of questions. And then you dig down and you realize, oh my gosh, people are managing this. This isn't some sort of irresponsible thing. This is this is an effort here. And there's a lot of organizations that don't get highlighted that are putting a lot of time, effort, and money into this, not to mention the the, the people themselves. So going down that rabbit hole uh, is what I found the most interesting and, and led me to all these different curiosities that have uh, you know now been embraced by by the brand and are gonna be reflected in the bottle. Did you kind of come out of that with a, uh, a favored oak type or or location from which the oak came? No, no, I would say um I would say that I came out with a healthy interest in continuing researching uh we we are gonna do we're gonna have a lot of emphasis on uh on cooperages on trees on uh, uh terroirs we're, we're gonna have a lot of that uh focus in the next few years and and also part of our distillery we want to embrace that we want to uh create a platform for people to come and learn about that uh, and it won't be kind of this is what Heaven Store is saying, we're, we're going to invite those different organizations that are managing the land to come and open their own exhibits and, and provide them a space rather than saying, this is what Heaven Store is doing, but this is what these organizations are offering to the whiskey world and the and uh, the land management world. And this is, you know, focus on these organizations. And, and by no means is Heaven Store the only people doing this. There, there are a lot of brands out there. There's a lot of support. Um, it's just happens to be the one that's, that's allowing me to travel and learn about it. You're right in that sustainability has become more of a buzzword around the industry, but I don't think many are many distilleries in Kentucky or otherwise have plans to you know give these organizations a full platform and a space to, to talk about it. It's one thing to say you got a 94 point rating. It's another to organ to organize um, or invite those organizations to talk more and just say, look, we're heaven store. We got a good, we got a great rating from them, but it's more about them than about us. We're just doing what we think is right. So uh, I, you know, there, there's, I understand there's some humility there, of course, but there's also something to be said for you for pushing and promoting the sustainability practices and the organizations leading that. So no, that's that's my opinion, but uh, take that for what you will. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're also we're a relatively small company too, right? So we're we're able to act uh, quickly, uh, whereas some of these big brands that are doing amazing things and they're they're embracing the same values we are. They're they're just they're aircraft carriers. You know, they're slow moving and and they also might have such a wide audience that they can't uh, broadcast necessarily some sort of efforts that they're doing, whereas we're able to. Um, so there, there's some benefits to our size and flexibility. Uh, you know, I'll, I agree. I agree with you in principle on that. Uh, I want to throw one example back and I won't ask you to necessarily you know, respond to it, but uh, one example back of a, inarguably a behemoth 
that has also placed a big focus on the wood management. And I immediately thought of Jack Daniels with their um, white oak project with the University of Tennessee. And so I agree that being a smaller company, you're much more nimble. You can make decisions that can affect a day-to-day process rather than having to do that aircraft carrier level turning radius. Um, but I think the the point should be made to that if smaller distillers like Heaven Store can do it, but also the now best-selling whiskey in the world can do it, yeah, yeah. Uh, then like everyone else is in between that. So figure it out, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Like you, you can do it. You can, you can have a middle ground. Um, but anyway, I, I think uh, that's a good transition into, I wanted to talk about the, the new location in, uh, in Pleasureville, Kentucky. So it's, if you haven't heard of the town, it, it's about halfway between Louisville and Lexington, a little bit North of that midline between the two. Uh, you alluded earlier to why that location was chosen um, in that there, there was that distillery there. Ken Pierce was there and they had some stock. So it was a place that you could, kind of go to and didn't have to start from ground zero, if you will. Um, but once Heaven's Door took it over, I'm curious what changes took place to the to the property. Let's start with what changes took place to the property. Yeah. Um, well, it's a, a fantastic location. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, about 160 acres of rolling hills. I mean, it's, it's originally called Six Mile Creek. It's still called Six Mile Creek. It'll be having store at Six Mile Creek Distillery. Um, there's that creek uh, bordering the property. Uh, we've we've seen wild horses coming on the land and drinking from the creek. I mean, of course, there's other wildlife than wild horses, but it's it's absolutely breathtaking. Um, and then the, the distillery itself has this old barn architecture, uh, which is very fitting with the surrounding uh, town. So we, as far as uh, expansion, once we took over the, the grounds, as we kept that aesthetic, uh, tried to groom it a, a little bit simply because there, you know, uh, we had to put in some some infrastructural needs like, like uh, ponds for uh fire water suppression and stuff like that so the, there's the needs of the the county and the codes but we've kept that vibe and we've actually morphed the original rick house and that'll be the uh expansion site uh distillery number two so that's where our uh our new 36 inch uh foresight column still will be placed um as well as our offices and and labs so the original distillery um, up in the barn with the visitor center behind it. And then you'll go down the hill to the old Rick house. And that's a, a expansion number two. We'll put our Rick houses on some adjoining property uh, just down the road. Um, and then there's a history park theme to it. So you'll notice the theme of the distillery is kind of a step back in time. It's this barn architecture. It's very bucolic. It's uh uh, it invites you to not just look at all this modern equipment and the tradition of bourbon and that kind of interaction and balance, but it also asks you to, you know, step outside and sit by the creek in these 18th century cabins that we've had uh, moved and put on the property and enjoy yourself and enjoy nature and, and turn off your cell phone 
and appreciate your whiskey outside with your with your family and friends and loved ones. So that's kind of the the different take on the bourbon trail that we're trying to impart is it's not about seeing as many distilleries as you can getting on that bus and checking off six of your favorite brands that day that is terrific and there is there's a place for that and we hope that when you get to ours you you step off and you you feel transported to a different different time and uh and you put that phone on vibrate and and enjoy yourself and at kentucky um so th that's our goal um of course the the buildings that are going on to it are, are new structures so they they don't look like they're necessarily um ancient but but the cabins down below and and that are going to be single barrel tasting areas and and rest areas and whatnot those are are all built in the 18th century and have been uh brought over in our our a um i guess a big fixture of our theme the but actually before i forget this i think you said there are forsyth stills forsyth so we have uh, vendome and then our new one's going to be a forsyth yeah interesting so um i mean i'm I'm fascinated by that just because that they're the two kind of titans of the still making world but you you don't see many forsyths here uh yeah so there there are some um you know forsyth is mostly known for their their pot stills so column um are, are lesser known, but certainly the the brand's repu the manufacturer's reputation um, is outstanding. So we're we're really excited to have that um, and and be able to have both Forsyth and Vendome, the the, the Titans in, in two neighboring buildings. So. Awesome, and uh, and Ken is staying on for the foreseeable future, as far as you can tell. Yes, sir, Ken's. Uh, Ken's with us. He uh, he is as eager as ever to to get this brand going and the new distillery, and we we couldn't be happier. Thank you so much to Alex Moore of Heaven's Door Spirits for joining me for this episode of the Whiskering Podcast. As always, there were a couple of, of questions that we didn't quite get to just for time considerations, but I am happy to say that I'm going to be visiting Heaven's Door hopefully in this coming March. So. Any questions that have gone unanswered are going to be brought up again then. We'll share pictures and stories of being on the site and seeing what they're doing to promote this new, well, relatively new brand and how they're transitioning to distilling their own spirits. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And listen for the end notes to hear where you can find more about Heaven Store Spirits. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and click that subscribe, follow, or like button. Leave a rating review on your podcast app of choice and let me know what you want to hear. You can reach out to me through the podcast apps or email me at david at whiskeymywedderingcom with any suggestions or ideas for new show guests. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash whiskeyinmywedderingring. That's whiskey with an E for as little as a dollar a month. $5 a month gets you access to bonus content, including our soon to resume under the influencer series and $25 a month means you join the Barrel Share Club. Each month, Barrel Share Club members get to try products sent to me for review, bottles from my own collection, and sometimes bottles that I just pick up because they're fun or interesting. Right now, only five spots remain in the Barrel Share Club, so grab your place today. Finally, 
please follow on Instagram. You can follow me at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or at Whiskey Ring Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Whiskey Ring. You can follow on Facebook at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or join the Facebook group, the Whiskey Ringers group. And I hope to see you there. Cheers. Thank you for the support and see you next time.